What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Logos Podcast. This is Max. This is Joey. And on today's episode, we have a guest with us, Dr. Perry Cahall, to discuss a topic that we had originally intended to talk about about two or three weeks ago. Yeah, that's right. But due to some tech issues, we weren't able to, but we have him here today to discuss marriage, divorce, and in the broader scope, how same-sex unions fits into that picture. Yeah. Doctor, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for coming Glad on. to be back here again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Should be good. Should yeah. Be good but before we get into the full content of this episode, Joey, do it. We got a lot to cover today, so I'm just going to keep this brief. Welcome to Logos Podcast. Um, thanks for being here. We're praying for you, all of our listeners. If you want to support what we're doing, if you like what we're doing, you can follow us on all our social media, TikTok, Instagram. We've got a website you can visit. We're on YouTube. So if you're listening to this, you can tune in on YouTube and watch it. Um, so you can see Max ugly face and then, um, sorry, that was, that was uncalled for. That it's, was so uncalled It's for. Lent. I should be practicing more charity. That's right. Mercy. Um, I like yeah. it. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. Your support. Um, but you can become a, uh, a patron to Logos Podcast. Speaking of Lent during, uh, by going to patreon.com slash Logos Podcast, becoming a, you can donate five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month. If you've got it, we'd really appreciate your help. If not, we're praying for all of you and, uh, yeah, welcome. That's right. So, Dr. Uh, Cahal is a professor at our seminary. That's right. He also specializes in historical theology, um, teaches several courses here, Christology, church history, and two courses on marriage. Uh, courses is course I, course E. Is it courses is on <laughs> marriage? Is. Course. Course. <laughs> course. Uh, he also, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, stop it. All right. He also is an author. Uh, but above all, he's a husband and a father. So doctor, please introduce yourself sure. for our listeners. Uh, along with what you said, I've been here teaching at the seminary for 18 years. Hard to believe. Mm-hmm. That I've is been, crazy. I've been uh, married for, I got to get this right, you know, 22 years. I have children who are 21 and 18 and um, married life is great. Nice. Yep. So you're an expert on You wrote the book on marriage. I wrote literally a book on marriage. <laughs> I was one, in, once introduced at a talk I gave as an expert on marriage, and my wife was actually there. <laughs> and I started laughing as I walked up to the podium, and people probably thought I was crazy. And I stopped laughing finally, and I looked out at the crowd, and I said, well, having been just introduced as an, the expert on marriage, I think my wife, is a, who's in the back of the room, will want to reserve time for rebuttal. <laughs> so, so, I, so I don't claim to be an expert on married life. Yeah. I, I know a bit about the sacramental theology of marriage and have experience living uh, married life, but holiness in marriage is an ongoing process. Yeah. Right. And, and you've written two books. I just want to say these now. We'll link to these in the description of, the, sure. of our stuff. But one is for like classroom usage, right? It's more for teaching theology. And that is... The Mystery of Marriage, A Theology of the Body and the Sacrament. Yes, the one you guys are required to get for your class. Yes, yeah. yeah, so we'll have to read that. We'll get yeah, I have it. Obviously, I have it. Eventually. I've already read it. It's my favorite yeah. book. And the second one, <laughs> so which is more pastoral in its approach, right? It's for couples who are yes. married, right? And it's called Living the Mystery of Marriage, Building Your Sacramental Life Together. Right. Mm-hmm. And that target audience is for engaged and newly married couples, although I hope there's something in it for couples regardless of how long they've been married. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Cool. Now you also wrote your dissertation on I did. the topic of marriage as well. Uh, right? My dissertation was on Augustine's Saint Augustine's theology of marriage and a connection between that and his Trinitarian theology. That's beautiful. So nice. Yeah. Which is sweet. Been able to get some mileage out of it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I will say, Doctor, it's I mean, expert in marriage. No one's really an expert in marriage, but it is at least refreshing 
because I know Jason Everett, well, I'll hear him give talks on chastity and stuff and he'll make comments that he'll go to Barnes and Noble and look through like the self-help section, marriage section, and there will be experts on marriage authors who are on like their fifth marriage. Yeah. Right. And so, well, and it, and that actually, that's interesting that that's kind of the standard around marriage. Today. Right. It's like, um, there's a lot of confusion surrounding it, which leads me into, so a, it's nice to have someone who's faithfully living out the vocation here to teach us about it. Sure. B, that leads us into our conversation. Why do we want to talk about this? Why is it so important that we talk about marriage? So I guess I'll start by saying that, Doctor, you've probably, it's pretty easy to see that there's a lot of confusion around the topic. Yeah. Um, in America, I think is uh, is one issue, but I think on a global uh, scale, we see a deep confusion in the world about what marriage is. I think people also aren't getting married and aren't staying married. Mm-hmm. Um, divorce is just another thing on the docket. Um, and I think the idea of getting married somehow seems, um, ridiculous in a lot of modern people's eyes. Why should you get married? Why do I need these things? Um, it's also seen, I think oftentimes, Joey, you know, please chime in on this, chime in on this too, doctor, but it's oftentimes seen as seen as just like a piece of paper, mm-hmm. marriage, just like a juridical civil agreeance, you know, so, oh, somebody affirmed, well, we already shared interiorly. So give me this paper to acknowledge that. Right. So if feeling. it's just that, why do it? Exactly. Right. right. And so, so again, that goes really to the central mm-hmm. question. What is marriage and why do it? And obviously in the scope of our conversation, as same sex unions kind of become more and more promoted, um, how to engage that conversation. And then obviously divorce within the scope of the conversation too. How does, how does that fit into this yeah. uh, image of marriage on yeah. a more general scope? So those are a few motivations of my own. Yeah. I'm thinking, I don't know the exact numbers of the divorce rates and stuff in, in America, but I know they're really high. Like I've heard upwards of like 50% or something like that. Like marriages aren't lasting. So the confusion about its sacredness, I think is prevalent. Um, and it's, I think society is suffering because of that. So yep. that's why we wanted to talk about it. Dr. What have you seen in your observation of the culture with regard to marriage that makes you passionate about teaching and speaking about it? Yeah, I think everything you guys said is correct. Okay. And mm-hmm. then some, you know, I think that we've forgotten in our culture, what makes married love unique. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 uh, popular phrase these days, love is love. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, it's a tautology. Love is love, but it's meant to imply that whatever, whoever you love is fine. You should be able to marry essentially or or have sex with, let's be quite honest. Yeah. Right. Um, but it fails to recognize that slogan fails to recognize that there are different types of love that we as human beings can experience. Mm. You know, um, a great book for your uh, listeners, viewers is C.S. Lewis's Four Loves. Ah, yes. Wonderful book. Mm-hmm. When I, I, I taught uh, undergraduates for a while before coming to the seminary and, and the course I taught on marriage there, that was one of the books I used. The kids, mm-hmm. kids, the young people loved it, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it made distinctions that they had never quite made in their own minds. And I think today it's even that a book like that's even more useful because everybody thinks of somehow reduces all love to some type of romantic love or, or sensual, or like, sensual love. Yeah. 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 Um, where, where in fact, you know, to, just like in two minutes or less, you know, CS Lewis makes the distinctions of four different types of love, uh, affection, mm-hmm. friendship, eros, and charity. You know, we use one word for all those types of love. You know, I can say in one word, I love beer. I love my dog. I love my house. I love my job. I love my country. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my dad. I love my mom. I love my siblings. I love God. 
Yeah. Vastly different types of love. Right. Sure. Right. I mean, if I love my wife with the same love that I love beer, she should be offended. Although I do really love beer, but <laughs> it's a completely different type <laughs> yeah. of love. Right. right. Yeah. And so what, what are these different types? Well, the love I have for beer is the love of affection. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a love of, um, taking pleasure in or delighting in something. Well, you can have that type of love for non-personal objects and for persons. The deepest type of affectionate love is probably that between parents and children. Mm. You know, mm. the, the delight that a parent takes, you know, in his or her child. Yeah. Um, God has that type of delight in us. He is our father. Right. right? And, and all of these different types of human loves show us something about the way God loves us. Right. Mm. But affection, it's not the same type of love as friendship. Right. You know, friendship is, right. is different. It's, it's, Standing together side by side, viewing something that you have in common and journeying deeper into that good or that truth together as friends. Because you appreciate it yes. in that person. And, and a friendship can open itself to more friends because mm -hmm. the more people you have appreciating this common interest, the more aspects of that common interest are brought out. Right. Huh. You know, yeah. the, the saints in, in, um, in the history of the church point out that the, that the higher the truth that you have in common, the deeper the friendship. Hence, people who are united in their love for Christ are the deepest friends. Mm. Right. Communion sure. of saints in heaven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but then, then you have eros, which gets a bad rap in our culture. You know, mm -hmm. every time you use the word erotic or eros, people think immediately of sex. Right. 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 But ultimately, eros or erotic love is is the attraction to, or the desire for, the good, the true, and the beautiful, mm. and the desire for for union with that that good, that truth, that beauty. Right. And in particular, you're talking about a personal love, loving yeah. the good, the true and the beautiful as it's embodied in another person. Sure. Yeah. Eros is, has this, um, because you're desiring union with it, mm -hmm. right? It, there's has to be a complementarity there. Hmm. So, so for, for to, so, uh, Eros can only be experienced. Erotic love can only be experienced between a man and a woman because only they have the body soul complementarity to achieve union for which that love seeks. Hmm. Which we'll talk about more yes, exponentially here shortly, and and I, and I I will if I could add I just I'm yeah. re, I'm remembering speaking of the misconceptions around this term eros and mm -hmm. erotic love and what Father Brett Brandon who we've had on the show before he once gave us a spiritual conference in which he was talking about chastity and celibacy and yeah. all these things but he pulled up the word generosity on the on the slide. And, and the, the root of gener, gen generosity, like eros is the root of that word. Excellent insight. And yeah. so he's like, yeah, like we're meant to give ourselves, give ourselves. Right. Yes. And that's kind of, that's kind of the essence of this, of eros. Yes, exactly. And then you have of the fourth, the fourth love is agape love. Sure. It's loving as God loves. Right. Completely selfless, completely other other centered, completely altruistic, not seeking anything in return. No egoistic. Just loving for the good of the other. Right. right. So, and okay, doctor, maybe that takes them to kind of launches us into uh, trying to define what marriage is and yes. how it relates to these types of Absolutely. love. Great. Right. And so you've laid out kind of very generally what these types of love are. And through the scope of this episode, we'll dive more deeply into those types of love and define them and articulate them a little more. But just briefly, let's try to define what marriage is and how it relates to yeah. love. And I think for this, we'll turn to the catechism. I think that's usually a good idea. Yeah, and because it, it does a really beautiful job. Doctor, you yourself have said that this section actually particularly is beautiful out of the catechism, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So I'll read the, the definition of marriage from the catechism in paragraph 1601, and then you can help us unpack it a little bit, Doctor. Sure um, so the sacrament of matrimony. The matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole of life is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. Mm. 
this covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. So that is the first of many awesome paragraphs in the catechism about marriage, but we can use that as our launching off point. So help us unpack that a little bit. So the, the matrimonial covenant, let's deal with that word first covenant. So uh, married love is distinct among all types of love that we can give and receive as human persons because it has four qualities. Now, let me backtrack a second. Married love does uh, encompass aspects of affection, Mm -hmm. friendship, eros, but it goes, it it encompasses those and goes beyond Mm -hmm. because it's the love of the covenant. What is the covenant? Ultimately, a covenant is an exchange of persons, a mutual donation of persons, Mm -hmm. right? So, uh, the covenant of the old covenant, new covenant, right? Where the essence of that covenant is God saying to his people, I will be your God. Literally, I, I, I give you me. I give you myself. All right, I, I am your inheritance, O Israel. Right? Mm. That's, he gives himself. No mm. strings attached. He donates himself to his people. And what does he expect in return? You'll be my people. You'll give yourselves to me. And through you, I'll be a light to the nations. Right. right? This mutual donation of persons. So it's this committed love, which involves the totality of the two persons involved in it, right? And it has four distinct qualities, if you break it down, that you can see in God's relationship with humanity. Um, it's free. God freely gives himself. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to create anything. He's right, self-sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. He freely creates out of love, and he gives himself in love freely. It's faithful. God is ever faithful to this covenant that he forges with humanity. He will never go back on his gift of himself mm. because it's a total gift. It's permanent, right? Yeah. The, the totality of the gift implies or, or dictates permanence. I've given all that I have, right? And it's also fruitful. You know, how many times, you know, it, I think Isaiah, there's a quote from Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 55 where, where, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, God says, uh, my word shall not return to me before it bears fruit. Yeah. True. So, <clears throat> and always when God gives us his grace in this relationship of covenant, it seeks to bear fruit. Right. Okay. Now, interesting. Look at married love, right? Between two hum- between a man and a woman, those four same qualities. It's free. There is no such thing as a valid shotgun wedding, at least in the Catholic <laughs> church, right? Maybe yeah. in Alabama. I don't okay. Know. Look, so this is what I'm going to say. Be very careful because I am from the South. I don't, I don't agree with the shotgun weddings, but they are all over the South. I, sorry. I didn't mean to offend anybody from Alabama. <laughs> but just, they're not valid because. Because there's no freedom. There's right, the, there's the no couple freedom. entering in. In, is in not order totally to make free. a gift, it has to be free mm. right? yeah. and freely received. Sure. Right. Faithful. Mm. There's no such thing as an open wedding, an right. open marriage. It's between these two people, nobody else can intrude. Unlike friendship, which can expand. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Married love is exclusive. Exclusive. Between this man right. and this woman. Married love is permanent. The to- total gift of each self, of oneself to the other and reception of the gift, it's, this is till death do us part. Right. And it's fruitful. Mm. And that's really the most distinctive of the four qualities of married love of the, uh, is that, you know, this couple can express their love in such a way that nine months later, they may have to give that expression of love a name. Yeah. Right. And it's the continuation yeah. of God's yeah, yeah, created, yeah. creative activity, you know, in the world. Mm-hmm. That's what makes married, marriage unique. There's no other t- love that we can share 
between persons that has all four of those qualities. And and well, guess what we're not saying? What we're not saying is that love is transactional, right? In the sense of like, you can just pick up this person and drop them off whenever you want. Excellent to. point. Excellent point. Right? Because I think, you know, sometimes the word covenant has leaked into legal terms. Yeah. Like people assigns housing covenants or whatever. Yeah. Really not a, uh, a proper use of the term, or at least it doesn't display its full meaning mm-hmm. because uh, a covenant is not a contract. Right. I, I suppose you could argue that there are some contractual elements to a covenant in this handing over, mutual handing over of self, but the contract normally ex- it governs the exchange of goods or services. You know, if I draw up a contract and give it to you guys, one of you or both of you, and we all sign it, you know, well, there are terms to it. And sometimes there's a proviso in the contract that if we violate these terms, it's rip it up. It's no good. Right, 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 it's right, null right. and void, right? Mm-hmm. One of us. But a covenant is not about the exchange of goods or services, right? It's about an exchange of persons, sure. right? This deep mutual commitment and hand, literal, literal handing over of the self to the other and the reception of the other self into, into me, right? Which is the type of love that God wants to share with us. That he, he offers us this love of the covenant because he literally wants to wed himself to us. Right. It's a, it's a nuptial type of love where he gives his entire self, wants us to give ourselves in return, to live in this wedded bliss, if you will, mm-hmm. sure. for all eternity. And, and from the beginning, marriage is supposed to be a sign of that love. That's why God makes marriage. Okay. So this actually, this is good. So this leads me to our next question. Given that this is what marriage is, it's the type of relationship between a man and a woman that necessarily involves freedom, totality, fruitfulness, and um, exclusivity, exclusivity, right? Faithfulness. So, and that's what marriage is. So that's really helpful to continue kind of harping on as we continue throughout this episode, remembering that that's the nature of the relationship we're talking about. Given that that's what marriage is, now let's tr- try to kind of unpack what role marriage has played in salvation history, in God's plan for humanity, because clearly it resembles the way that he loves us and it's pretty important. But I guess very succinctly, I'm thinking, okay, in the before the fall, in the Garden of Eden, what was marriage? And then after the fall, what was marriage? And then after Christ, what was marriage? So like, can we address those kind of, those three periods of salvation history to kind of see the meaning and status of marriage in those times. Yeah, let's do that. So, um, if you ask, why did God make marriage? Why does marriage exist? It's because from the dawn of time, God wanted there to be a living sign of the way he loves us, of the love that he offers to us. Hmm. So he wants, he wanted the first married couple, Adam and Eve. He wants all married couples throughout time to be able to, in the love that they experience with each other, to be able to be reminded about the type of love that God offers them. And he wants other people to be able to look at those married couples and say, that's how God loves me right there. But to the nth degree. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because Infinite marriage is a sign right. Right. right, from the beginning of this type of love that God well, beckons us into. So uh, John Paul II in his Theology of the Body, I know, you, I know you've had uh, Dr. Ignatik on to talk about that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Great guy to have on because he helped translate the original work from the Polish. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Can't have much more qualified expert. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So, but John Paul II calls marriage the primordial sacrament. You know, from it's primordial and it's from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It is this sign, this living sign of the God, of the love that God offers to us. Not only that, he got John Paul II goes even deeper and say, not only is it a sign of the type of love that God offers to us as humanity, but it's a ty- it's a sign of a, 
a, a window, just some type of reflection of the type of love that God is in his own life. Hmm. This, this, this communion of persons pouring themselves out to each other and receiving each other totally from all eternity. Yeah. And that is the Trinity. That's correct. The yeah. life of the Trinity. And yeah. that, that somehow married love from the dawn of time was supposed to give us some type of insight into the love that God himself is. Hmm. That's pretty profound. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's, right. that's, you can't get much more yeah. important no. than that in, in, in the created order of things. Right? Okay. So that happens at the beginning. In the beginning. Right. right? And then the fall happens. Yeah. Right? And the, the image that in like the image and likeness of God is wounded in humanity and marriage is wounded. We see that in Genesis chapter three, just looking to see what happens in the relationship between the couple. Yeah. Right. Fracturing, fragmenting, um, and you see what happens in their family. Yeah. Soon afterwards, Cain kills Abel. Right, right. Right. But even then, even in this state of, if we go from prime order, you know, to disorder yeah, after yeah, yeah. sin, even in that disordered environment or in ex- existence, marriage still bears this imprint of God's love. It still has the possibility, you know, of reflecting God's love. Right. Right. Um, wounded by sin, but still can bear that reflection. Then we get to Jesus. Well, what does Jesus do? Well, he reestablishes the prime order. So from prime order to disorder to reorder, you reorder, mm-hmm. right? So that he makes it possible. He, he makes it clear that he's come to, to reinstall, if you will, uh, God's plan for married love that was present from the beginning. You know, where does he do this? He does this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19. Right? So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, the Pharisees ask this question of Jesus about divorce. Right? They say, you know, mm. and, and all the Pharisees and Sadducees in every encounter with Jesus, most of the encounters with Jesus in the New Testament, they're trying to trip him up. Yeah. Right? And so they ask this question, you know, Master, uh, you know, Moses gave us a bill of divorce. What do you have to say about that? Clearly, I'm paraphrasing. Right? <laughs> um, and they're trying to get to trip him up because if he contradicts Moses, who was the great lawgiver. Right. He was, right? The, yeah, the prophet, right? The, the prophet, the lawgiver, then somehow this is showing that Jesus is not a faithful Jew. Right. But Jesus doesn't bat an eyelash. He just goes right into the question. Right. And he says, from the big, he says, Moses gave you a bill of divorce. Why? Because of the hardness of your hearts, because of sin. Mm. But from the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, God made them male and female, and a man shall leave his wife and shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. What God therefore joins together, no man must put asunder. Right. Boom. Mm. Right. Paraphrase that a little bit. Jesus is saying, the time for hard hearts is over. I'm with you now. Right. I'm with you now. And I'm going to give you all the grace you need to live out God's original plan for married love. Mm. Right. And not only that, he elevates it to the level of a sacrament. Yeah, so what does that mean? One of the right. Grace-giving signs in the Catholic Church. Okay. Okay, so now marriage is not only a sacrament in the order of creation, now it's a sacrament in the order of redemption. Right? Hmm. And John Paul II says a great deal about this too. I'm trying to file something away in the back of my mind to say, I think I got it, now I'm going to say this. <laughs> right on. Um, how does Jesus do this? I think in the very moment in which he's speaking to the Pharisees about returning marriage to its, married love to its original plan, you see him elevating marriage to the level of a sacrament. Yeah. But in other ways too, where's Jesus' first public miracle? The wedding feast of Cana. That's right. right. All that wine, open sourcing. Absolutely, man. <laughs> I mean, greatest party ever. Right? <laughs> ever. Ever. I mean, think, yeah. think about, I mean, just the practicalities of it. Like there's, there's like six 
stone water jars there, each holding 20 to 30 gallons of water, right? <laughs> so um, they run out of wine, which was a huge, not just a party foul, but it would have been have brought disrepute <laughs> upon the family because yeah. in, in yeah. marriage liturgies, even the, today this way is my understanding, in Orthodox wedding liturgies, they're supposed to symbolize something of the, of the great wedding feast, mm. right? In heaven. Right. Right. With right. God. So it's, it's, it's a sign of great disrepute if the, the family runs out of wine. Mary must have loved, and Jesus must have loved this, this couple and this family immensely, mm-hmm. right? This is his first public miracle, right? Not worked anything else in public yet. Yeah, right? this is where. So they run out of wine. So, you know, Mary is apprised of the situation, turns to Jesus, do something, right? <laughs> and what's he say? Well, you know, woman, you know, my time's not yet come. Right. Sure. What do you want me to do? And like, like any good mom, I mean, in my, I, ha, I read scripture with an imaginative eye and I'm trying to think, you know, I always try to imagine the interchange and, um, and I always kind of just envision Mary, like looking at him with this kind of knowing look <laughs> and then turning to, you know, the, the head waiter and say, do what he tells you to do. Right. Yeah. And looks back at Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. do it. Doesn't even have to right. say much. Right. Yeah. But I think also in that understanding in that moment is that Jesus is, is reminding her, I think that he, that you know, if I do this, everything's going to be different. Once right. I, once I do this, everything is going to be different, mm. right? It's going to lead inexorably to the cross, mm-hmm. right? Mm. And she knows that and she still asks this of him, right? And mm. he does it, right? And in that moment, like, so I think mm. Christopher West is a person who, who makes this point, like wine in all of scripture is all this, always a sign of great joy and love and, you know, delight and happiness. So it, it in, in changing all of this water, 120 to 160 gallons of water, into the best wine that anybody's tasted, by the way. I mean, the, the, I'd buy it. The, med, the, the head servant tasted He goes, you know, dude, um, you know, you most people, they serve like the good stuff first and they save the shocky stuff for later. When like, people are hammered, yeah, just like, pour them. They don't know what they're drinking. Like, you save the best stuff for last. Like, this is incredible <laughs> wine. So it's a great party, yeah. right? It yeah. shows that also how much God delights in us mm-hmm. and how much he wants us to delight in him. Yeah. And the abundance of life that comes yes. forth from his heart. Exactly. An abundance of love, an right. abundance of joy. Right? John ten ten. I came so that they might have life and, and have, have it, it abundantly. abundantly. Right? That's right. Exactly. And that, or, or, uh, or that I, or what it's in John, is it five where he says, you know, keep these, keep my, I, you, they'll know that you love me if you keep my commandments. Mm. And, and then he says, and I say this to you because I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be complete. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. this whole scene, you know, bears that out. Right. And, yeah. and it's a sign that Jesus has come to restore the love, the, the, the joy, the abundance of married life. Yeah. Right. Where else does he show his, his, the, that he's elevated marriage to something higher than just the, the natural institution that it was in the primordial uh, situation of creation? He refers to himself as the bridegroom. That's right. All throughout the gospels. Yeah. Right. I am the bridegroom. And mm-hmm. he gives parables, you know, about himself as the bridegroom. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, so, the, and that's, by the way, why John Paul II call, says marriage is, is a sacrament of the redemption, not just by being one of the seven sacraments, which I want to say more about in just a second. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. But, but it's a, a sacrament of redemption because it's the sign by which redemption comes to us. In other words, Jesus, the bridegroom, pours himself out completely right to the end as far as love can go to sanctify his bride who is us yeah right? and invite her into into intimate and and uh perpetual communion with him freely totally so faithfully so the whole the whole dynamic right. of salvation the whole dynamic of rege- redemption is nuptial 
And marriage is a sign of that. So it's a sign of God's love from the beginning, mm-hmm. and, and it's a sign of God's redemptive love yeah. in the order of redemption. And then we have the sacrament you know, that Jesus gives to us right, in these different ways, pointing out that marriage is not just the ordinary thing that you think it was anymore. Sure. Yeah, right? yeah, it's new. And what are, what are the seven sacraments of the church? They're effective signs that Christ gives the church to effect salvation. So, you know, visible signs instituted by Christ to give grace. That's the short definition of the Baltimore Catechism. Yeah. Right. Um, Each of these signs brings into being what it signifies. Right. So when a priest, you know, when we baptize somebody, pour water over someone's head and speak the Trinitarian formula, you know, it's what we do there. The sign is a a sign of what's happening. So the, the sign is a washing that happens. Original sin is washed away. Yeah, it's not just a it's not just an empty ritual that symbolizes someone's yeah. entrance into the Christian community. And, it's like it causes a spiritual reality to come about. Yeah. And, and so when we talk about what Christ did to the sacrament of marriage, yes, is perfected, bring so, about His life, His very life. So into you it. know, we so if that happens in in baptism, and yeah. like when the priest confects the Eucharist, this is my body, this is my blood, holding up the 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 bread and the wine. It's not just a pious symbol. Jesus is now present whole and entire under the, under the appearances of bread and wine. Yeah. So what happens in marriage? We're pi- we piously say, well, marriage is a sign of Christ's love for the church. No, it's not just a sign. It's an effective sign. At the moment that those, that Christian couple, the ba- these, m- these two people, these men and this woman who've been baptized into Christ, yeah, yeah, who've yeah. been incorporated into Christ by their baptism, when they exchange their vows, Christ acts in and through their vows to bind them together as members of his mystical body. And he lives in their love. Hmm. That that sacrament makes Christ's love present in their lives and in the world. And not, Doctor, not just on the day of the marriage, right? Like, exactly right. Yeah. Not just on the wedding day. From that point forward, everything about that couple's life is a sign of, of Christ's self-giving, self-sacrificial, self-emulating love that he offers the church. Changing poopy diapers, caring for children, <laughs> battling with teenagers, you know, getting old together. Yeah. Everything about that life from that point forward before God, the altar, and the universe, when they exchange their vows, is a, that is a sign, an effective sign, where Christ lives in their love and makes himself present in a particular way through their relationship. And, and that's a very consoling reality. Yeah. And I, and, and I know um, this book um, by Dietrich von Hildebrand on marriage, the mystery of a uh, faithful love. I think you've mm-hmm. mentioned it, recommended it before. But one of the things I know he mentions in here in line with what you're saying, it's he says, you know, there's this tendency in man to um, want to be egoistic and self-centered and selfish. And one of the things that marriage forces a person to do is to give himself or herself in this in, in a way that is complete yes. and out of love, but yet difficult. So yes. there is this kind of rupturous and kind of redemptive aspect where like, this really hurts, but I really love you. And yes. so there's no longer just a focus on the I, mm-hmm. the personal I. It's a focus on the other. Yes. And ultimately in communion with, you know, the spouse to the other, capital O God. Yes. And there's this I being transformed into the ultimate, like the, yeah. the eternal yeah. other God. Yes. And, and Right. Absolutely. Everything you said is correct. Get back to that original definition of marriage that was in the catechism. You know, this lifelong partnership that's designed for two ends, the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of children, right? So, and they're not, they're not somehow like in a Venn diagram, like exclusive ends or goals. 
they overlap. Right, right, right. right. It's a both and. So the mutual good of the spouses. Marriage marriage is designed by God to be a virtue factory. (laughs) Virtue factory. Demand sacrificial love out of you. Exactly. Because it forces you to overcome your own selfishness and focus on the other. Mm. Right. And if you have both spouses doing that, wonderful things can happen. Right. But if you're if that's going to happen, they have to be willing to accept the death to self. Mm. A friend of mine, uh, Jim Keating, uh, who teaches at the IPF, now he's actually at Kenner Glenn Seminary, mm-hmm. um, said that you know every spouse must must suffer um, the conversion of, uh, not only of themselves but of their other of their spouse. <sighs> right. Okay. That's the passion that every married couple is welcomed into, which they can't avoid. Mm. Right. That that Christ wants this this relationship to draw them into His passion as a couple. Mm-hmm. Right. So that he can perfect their love for each other and for him, because they they encounter part of the sacrament of marriage. If he lives in their love, is they encounter Christ through each other, mm-hmm. and it hurts. And sometimes it hurts. Yeah. Love hurts. Isn't that a song? Probably. Yeah, I'm sure they probably. probably. Every country song yeah. seems to be about yeah. love so, hurting. So country songs always have wonderful truths. And I'm a country fan, by the way. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, who's your favorite country artist? If you had a name, uh, right one? now, currently, Chris Stapleton. My oh, yeah. baby, there yeah. it is. So Chris, give me, you know, yeah, sponsor show, us. Yeah. Yeah. So give us free tickets. So. No, it's so true. Okay, so one second. Yeah, yeah, please. The please. other good of marriage, the other oh, yeah. end of marriage, oh, procreation yeah, yeah, yeah. of children, right? Mm. Okay. It's again, it's not detached from the good of the spouses. When you have kids, further virtue factory. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Further virtue. Right. It, no, seriously. I mean, and and you know, people are we now have sadly, you know, many couples see children as an intrusion into their married life. Mm-hmm. Like getting in the way of their love for each other. I mean, it's not easy though, right? I no, mean, being a parent yeah. is not easy. Being married is not easy. But you know, yeah. God wants to work on us. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. He He wants to. He, he I, there's a wonderful Dominican uh, priest I had a privilege of taking a class with many years ago. He's now deceased, Father Justin Hennessy, and I. You know, he said several things I'll never forget. But one of the things he said in class was, "God loves us the way we are, but He loves us too much to leave us that way." Sure. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That he's always trying to draw us to deeper, to higher heights of love, to root out of us the into his that love. Us. Yes, and to, into and to love. be welcomed into his love, we have to get rid of the junk in our hearts. Yeah, right. right? And help, children help you get rid of the junk. <laughs> right. I mean, all they also the, put junk like every all kinds of junk. <laughs> there's junk in all of your home. <laughs> right. They, they get junk out of your hearts. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, like, ask your parents. I'm sure there's a lot uh, of yeah. junk. Yeah. No, I was a clean. I never. <laughs> did you ever? I didn't. I, I honestly, yeah, I've, I've never made any mess. <laughs> Yes, my life. I'm sure that's what about the case. coffee. Anyways, let's. So, um, but you know, the kids they the kids serve the good of the spouses. Yeah, and the and the good of the spouses serve the children. Yeah, I mean, it's they they mutually interpenetrate. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. Yeah. So where were we before I started off on that tangent? So we were talking about um kind of this idea marriage as a sacrament, marriage as a sacrament, mm-hmm. and that there is a, a level where love. Uh, demands of the yes. other his complete self but i think like we've done a good job of kind of trying to define hold on that. i want to ask one more question oh you got the question on. i forgot you had this question so, so um, here it is i don't think you know what it is but you can pretend like you do oh yes so, i know it so because i'm thinking of maybe people who have been baptized catholic or christian and have the option of getting married in the church maybe their grandparents would like it if they did that but they're not convinced that that's like maybe mm necessary or they want to get married at a de- you know luxurious destination or something like that on a beach at Disney World right so i'm thinking like given the fact that marriage is so hard and given the fact that we are sinners and that we need this selfishness and this this um sin really rooted out of us 
is that possible without the without the grace of the sacrament? Is there because in in my mind, I'm thinking like, how the heck do you expect to live out the sacrament of marriage or live out a faithful marriage without Christ's presence presence and grace empowering you to do so? Hmm. It l- let me kind of rephrase for a second. Um, it's not possible without grace. Okay. Yeah. That, so yeah. you know, you guys know from sacraments classes here. Yeah. You know, maybe you've talked about this already with your with your viewers. A little bit. Like, yeah, I think we probably you know, have. God pledges that his his grace will be there in the sacraments. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't mean that he doesn't he cannot offer his grace outside of the sacrament sure. life of the church. Right. Any marriage that lasts lifelong, I don't care who it is. Grace is present in that union. Right. Christ is, pre- is present yeah. somehow. He's offering grace to the couple to be able to live this out, even yeah. if they don't know him mm-hmm. right. Right? explicitly. Right. Mm. Right, right, right. But, yeah. but somehow they understand the truth of marriage. And by coming to understand the truth, who is the truth? Jesus. Right. Right. And he yeah. empowers them to live that truth in their lives. So, no, it's not possible to live out this, this call to marriage, this vocation of marriage without grace. Doctor, you know, it right. reminds me of something when Joey and I went to Mexico this summer. Um, one of the seminarians got ordained to the priesthood, or no, sorry, diaconate. to diaconate. Mm-hmm. And part of part of the the rite includes that he um, submit himself in faith to the church. Yeah, right. He's saying, if, I, I can't remember the exact formulation, but it's like I submit myself fully and faithfully to the doctrines and living of the church. And part of what I was thinking when the bishop was asking him this was like, who told you you were going to be able to live such a promise? You can't like, exactly like who like who gives us the right to say yes I'm going to the audacity the, the right? audacity yeah. to say like even as a you know you're, you're getting married your wedding day and you say yes for the rest of my life until death do us part come who, hell or high water exactly, no matter what who, who gave you who gave you the right to say such a thing who gave you the power how how do you, how in the world do you know this is going to happen and part of what I was thinking is okay this this deacon in this particular circumstance but let's talk about the the, the married couple here God promised that your faith would be abundant. God gives you the strength to carry this out faithfully, yes. fruitfully, right? And, and without him, you're a fool to think that it's going to actually... And it doesn't happen. Yeah. Like his doctor it, said it doesn't. It, this is why I mentioned right. like the, the sacrament of marriage is a consoling reality. Consoling, why? Because I'm not left to my own feeble efforts to love my wife the way she deserves to be loved. I'm not left to my own resources to live out this commitment. Jesus is going to make it possible in us. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Jesus, you know, I think sometimes people think of Jesus as um, competing you know, with our, well, competing with our freedom. Right. This, right. this reminds me of something you, you mentioned as we started out this session. So I, I actually want to go talk about this for a second. Okay. You know, that they see Jesus as competing with our freedom, right? Hmm. Um, and that somehow, you know, this commitment of marriage is going to be limiting, you know, or like, well, why do we need a piece of paper, mm. right? To, 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 to like, uh, to show people that we love each other. Um, let me deal with those in reverse order. There's a great, actually, uh, video on YouTube of Jordan Peterson. It, it, it comes up in his, it's a, you, if you Google Jordan Peterson on cohabitation, mm-hmm. he's asked the question, you know, uh, why, why do you think it's a bad idea for couples to cohabit? Gives a great, it's about a 20 minute response naturally mm-hmm. to the question. <laughs> right. But one of the things he says, he delves into this idea of marriage as a piece of paper. And he says, well, first of all, you know, the person who would make that argument uh, acts as if that's convincing to you, that somehow you think marriage is a piece of paper. Well, no, I don't, right? I don't right. play by those rules. And, and Jordan Peterson, you know, says something to the effect of, that's a stupid argument, right? <laughs> yeah. as, he's, as he, you know, kind of does. Baldly does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he, he says, so, you know, uh, what is marriage? It's this commitment, 
It's this handing over of persons to each other. And then he goes on just from a kind of natural perspective without right. even talking about the sacrament, talks about, you know, this is going to be hard, mm-hmm. right? And, and you need mm-hmm. to be held accountable, right? So you're pledging to live with this person and support them for the rest of your life. You need people to hold you accountable for that. This is, a, this is not just a, a matter that's private that just involves you too, especially when you realize that there may be other people issuing from your union. Right, right, right. Society right. has a stake in this. Yeah. So you, it, 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 it requires of you to, to profess this. He said normally marriages you know, um, invoke something holy, right? Mm-hmm. Or even the power of the state, you know, that you're, you're pledging by this. High, well, why do you need that? Because you, you need the support and, and to be held accountable for this relationship, mm-hmm. right? Even on just a natural level. On yeah. a natural yeah, level, yeah. right? But it's, it's not just a piece of paper. It's an exchange of persons. Mm. And it's, a change, it's an exchange of persons that has social ramifications, sure. right? Which is we, because we disconnected children from marriage, you know, people think that, that that somehow they don't have to have anything to do with each other. You can get married and and decide never to have children, or have a puppy, and that'd be sufficient yeah. for the expression of y'all's love. If you don't right? want children, you're not wanting married love. You're not married, mm. right? So, and the church makes that very clear in its marriage, right? Where it asks these questions: You come here freely. There's the freedom, right? Yeah. Do you, do you promise to be true to each other? There's the the freedom or the faithfulness. For as long as you both shall live, there's the permanence. Are you willing to accept children lovingly from God and bring them up to according, according to the law of Christ in his church? Those four elements of married love. If you answer no to any one of those, you don't want married love. Yeah. Right? right. And married love by its essence is not just about, it's not a private, how can you have a private uh, you know, commitment between when there's two people involved? I mean, it's, <laughs> by, the, by its nature, it's social just yeah. with the two people. So, but it has these ramifications for all of society. And from time immemorial, societies have taken great pains to govern how people, how man and a woman enter and leave these unions because it has such social ramifications. It can right. give society what no other union can, more citizens. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And, and doctor, I just kind of wanted to make a point and just succinctly, like why is it in a certain way that the civil order gets involved in marriages and why it's important that this happen? Um, on a very good natural level, it's because yes. the duty of the civil authorities are to maintain and promote order, order in yes. society. And the fundamental and the cell of society the is... Good, right? The fundamental cell of society, which all other levels of society are built, is the family, the mar- marriage, and the family. Mm-hmm. Right. It is the fundamental cell, the living cell of all societies, and so society has a right to protect it, mm-hmm. to govern how it's entered and exited, mm-hmm. right? So that there's order. Sure. Right. Now, why do people bristle at this? I think it's because of this misunderstood concept of freedom. Yeah, talking right? about that. That I think you know, well, I don't want to get married. That hems me in. It binds me. You know. Yeah. Okay, a couple things about that. Um, let's deal with this first. If you ask the average person in American culture what they think freedom is, what do you think the most likely response is you're going to get? The ability to do what I want when I want without, they'd say, the government telling me when, <laughs> when or yeah. when, how to do it. As long as I don't hurt anybody, yeah, it's all, all right. up for grabs. Right. But right. I think you're exactly right. That's mm-hmm. the going rate of freedom these days. Yeah. That's not freedom. That's license, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So, and and 
I, probably you guys aren't in this category. I know your angels and float six feet off the ground. That's true. We do that every morning. But, Actually, Joey had to tie me down one night because I was getting <laughs> yes. out of hand. Max, hold me down. I got but you. I got most you, I got of us you. mere mortals, right? <laughs> you know, I can remember times when we've done exactly what we wanted, when we wanted, how we wanted, and it did not lead anywhere good. It was terrible. We did not feel free. We did not feel happy. We did not. We felt alone and isolated and desolate. Why? Right. Because our choices were not in accord with the truth that comes from God. Right, which wants our happiness, which mm-hmm. wants our perfection. Mm-hmm. Right, so when we make those choices, which our first parents did at the dawn of creation, mm-hmm. it, it it causes disorder to enter into our lives, right. our relationships with others and with God. Right, so what is freedom? Freedom is the ability God has given us to live as gift, mm. right, as gift of love. Right, freedom is the ability to fi- to find perfection in love. Right. So, you know, if people have never cracked the Bible, they normally know this verse. I'm going to leave a blank in it. Um, It's John's Gospel, chapter 8. Jesus said unto his disciples, the blank will set you free. What's in the blank? Truth. 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 Very good. All right. A for today. Right. So It's the first day I've gotten in your class. (laughs) Here we are. Thank you. I'll lay. I'll, I'm going to hold this up, all right? Next time we're in class. <laughs> you better revel in it. So, um, and so he, he shows us that we cannot find freedom, flourishing. Ha- what is freedom? It's flourishing, happiness, right? Yeah. I mean, it's utter fulfillment. We cannot find freedom unless we abide in the truth. And then he says in John's gospel, was it chapter 14, I believe? You know, to, to Philip's question, you know, uh, where he, Philip asked him this question, just show us the Father. You know, and Jesus is like, <laughs> Philip, you know, have I been with you? This have long? you been with me this long? And you don't realize he who has seen me has seen the Father. He goes on. He's, I show us the way. Yeah. Yeah. Says, and he says, no, I am the way. <laughs> I am the truth. I am the life. Right. So Jesus is the fullness of that truth that God has to reveal to us. And if we hand mm. ourselves over to Him, he, he, we have everything to gain and nothing to lose, which is something Benedict XVI said in, the, sure. in a. a, in a uh, an audience he gave to youth and World Youth Day. Mm. We have everything to gain and nothing to lose because Jesus is not competing with our freedom. He is the source of our freedom. Right. And so right. we have, we make this distinction and we made it before on our freedom episode. There's, there's kind of this, there's this freedom from, which is what most people kind of envision, freedom from authority, freedom yes. from limitations, external limitations, right? But then there's what we're saying now is the church's understanding and the proper understanding of freedom, which is freedom for for what? For the other. To give yourself yes. completely for the other and to love and in that way you love God above yes. all. Mm-hmm. And so right. why, how does this enter into our current discussion of marriage? Because I think people see the marriage with its quality, especially of permanence, yeah. right? as somehow being a shackle. Mm-hmm. Right. right. That it binds I should me. be able to have sex with whoever I yes. want. I should be able to go out and have, right. you know, if I don't like this person, I should be able to drop it. And this piece of paper is bounding me to this yes. thing. I don't want to do that. You know? Yeah. Right. And, and, and instead not realizing that it's the permanence, the utter the complete donation, complete giving over of yourself to this other person that brings you freedom. Yeah. It, right. it, it, it's that love is demanding. I think you even mentioned that before, the demands of love, right? right? John Paul II writes about that in one of his encyclicals. I think it's, it's, I think it's in his letter to families. Mm. Love is demanding. But it's those demands that make love beautiful, right? It's, that's where you find, you find freedom. You don't find freedom in just satisfying all your desires whenever you want to, doing whatever you want. That, that leads to emptiness, mm-hmm. to desolation. You find freedom in personal love, giving yourself away as a gift to God and to others. Um, I had a, a text correspondence with a friend of mine recently, and uh, he said, uh, question, what makes for great romance? <laughs> he said, answer, um, 
the willingness to suffer for your beloved. Right? The willingness to suffer for your beloved makes great romance. And if you think of all the great romance novels or plays throughout history, that's why they're beautiful. Yeah. It's not because they're having like rapturous sex all over the place. Right, right, right? Right. It's because they're, they, they pour themselves out to each other in a way that shows they're willing to suffer mm. for their beloved. That's what Christ does on the cross, by the way. That's the, the, we are living the, most, the greatest romance possible. Where our, belo- our, our beloved, our bridegroom, has poured himself out completely and utterly, holding nothing back to show us how much he loves us. And he just waits for our response. Mm. Right. So I'm thinking too, so paradoxically, it's precisely in making the one choice to give ourselves totally and permanently to a person that we become not less free, but more free. So too, it's in making that one choice for one person in permanence that actually, I've heard Jordan Peterson say this, actually, that's when we get to experience true variability and adventure too, because he says this, he says, if you're a serial sex addict, for example, and you're just having sex with one person after another, after another, eventually like you're searching for like variability, but eventually that's going to get really boring because you're just doing the same thing. But when you commit your life to one person, that person is an infinite mystery. And like the depths into which you can be drawn into that person are never ending. And so you get to experience that adventure of like actually falling in love and coming to know another more and more in a way that you never would if you never actually made that commitment of your life. Which is a foretaste of heaven, by the way. Right. What is the beatific vision? The beatific vision is being eternally face to face mm -hmm. with the lover, big L, right? And being drawn deeper and Mm -hmm. deeper into that mystery without ever exhausting him. Mm -hmm. That's heaven, right? There's always something more to discover. Mm -hmm. That's freedom. (laughs) That's freedom, right? Entering into this mystery of love, right? Yeah. That's... That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. So given all of this, we set the stage maybe for a question that's come up, but now we should probably address, which is like, okay, in light of all of this, how does the church think about divorce? What, what does she teach about it? And sure. how do we understand that? Um, yeah. Help us, help us with I that. I think it's, it's probably more precise to say, what does Jesus think about divorce? Or what yeah. Does he okay. Teach about that's important. Divorce? You know, because, um, we have that, first of all, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 19, mm-hmm. that I already mentioned. You know, when the, the Pharisees asked Jesus about this bill of divorce, and he says, well, Moses gave you that because of the hardness of your hearts. Right. You know, he's, and as I said, he's basically saying, time for hard hearts is over. Right. So that was a right. provisional allowance that yeah. God gave to humanity. Yeah. An accommodation to sin. Yeah. Right. Right. And you see se- several of those all throughout the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's take another one, for example, even the exclusivity of marriage. Mm-hmm. It's very clear in the Old Testament and the legal codes and every other, you know, that there's a preference for monogamous marriage. Right. But you see the practice of polygamy. Yeah. You know, throughout, that's David, Solomon. I mean, Wow. Right. These are our kings. These are the guys we're holding up as leaders. But every time you see polygamy enter into a household, there is disaster. Yeah. I mean, look at what happens to David's household. If if you're not familiar with it, go back and read it. And uh, was it 1 Samuel? I mean, one of his his children from one of his wives, um, I can't, who's the name? Absalom. No, it's not Absalom. Absalom turns against David. Okay, that's what I thought you were talking uh, about. But Absalom had killed his, this half-brother because the half-brother raped his sister, Tamar. Mm -hmm. That's right. right. Do you you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a horrible, horrible, like ugly, ugly story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? For multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But every time you have the violation of of monogamous marriage, something awful happens. Even go back to Abraham. 
right? Where he, he takes his yeah, has, Hagar, has, right. Hagar yeah. has his has his uh, a son Ishmael, and then all of a sudden Hagar and Sarah are like at it, like constantly. Mm-hmm. There's strife in it, but when you have monogamous marriage, things go much differently, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's clearly a preference all throughout the Old Testament, right. even though it isn't always lived up to. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's important. So, so I think the word you use, provisional, is a good word there. It's like yes. divorce is provisional and and the allowance of polygamy yes. is provisional. But now Christ has made it clear right. this provision is no longer necessary because I'm with you. Mm. I'm here with you. Always. Right. Always. There, there's, there is nothing that can extinguish a married couple's love who's united in Christ because nothing will distinguish extinguish his love. Mm-hmm. He's he he is the, he is the couple's greatest ally, right? Right, always, right. So, um, what question did you ask? Divorce. divorce, divorce. So you have that in Matthew nineteen. You also have in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, chapter five. Um, Sermon on the Mount goes from five through seven, mm-hmm. right? But in chapter five, you have Jesus, you know, talking about. He gives us a. a, a a depiction of what the blessed life looks like, mm-hmm. the Beatitudes. And then he talks about, well, I've come not to abolish, but to, to um, fulfill. Perfect, for, fulfill the law. And then he gives what I think are the six hardest sayings in all of sacred scripture. You have heard it said, but I say to you, right? So he gives a precept of the law. You've heard it said, you shall not uh, kill. I say to you. And, and by doing that, he's showing that his divinity, by the way. Right. He's setting himself up as a lawgiver who's superior to Moses. Mm-hmm. You've heard it said, you shall not kill. I say to you, whoever harbors anger in his heart has already killed his brother, right? Wow. That's insane. (laughs) Right? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, he who looks with lust at another woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's taking everything to the heart, mm-hmm. right? He wants to root out sin at it, get out sin at its root in the human heart and help us to be greater lovers. Like a heart surgeon almost. He's going in there and... Yeah. Yes, with a scalpel, like, yeah. no, we're getting this out of here because right, I want you yeah. to be able to love, yeah. right? Um, you've heard it said, um, you've, you've heard it said, and a man, man shall divorce his wife, give her a divorce. I say to you, right? A man who divorces his wife and marries another causes her to be an adulterer, mm-hmm. right? So there's several different places in the New Testament mm-hmm. where Jesus himself says, divorce is not God's plan, Yeah, right? And we tend to hear that and say, well, Jesus is being a real taskmaster. Right. No. You know, this is the same Jesus who, in other, it, by the way, he ends that whole list of, you've heard it said, but I say to you, with that, that the scariest statement in all of Scripture, I think. I think it's Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 48, hmm. right? Where he says, so I say to you, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's right. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Whoa. Like, Jesus, that's a, you know. But this is the same Jesus that says, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Well, what's, what links the two? He's wanting us to be perfect in love, and he gives us the ability to do that and to grow in it with ease with his grace. Yeah. yeah. Right? That's the link. He's not saying these things because he wants to be a taskmaster. Right. Or he, he, or he sometimes denies the difficulty of it. Yeah. He's not like, he's like, oh, this is going to be easy with me. Don't worry about it. It's not what he's saying. Right? right. And there's another passage in which this isn't related, and I forget what verse this is, where he says, you know, every all things are possible with God. Mm-hmm. Right? 
So it's, he doesn't say these things to make our lives hard. He wants us to, to have abundant joy. He wants us to experience full freedom. Right. But he knows that ha- being attached to these selfish inclinations is never going to make us happy. And he wants us to let him root them out of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And divorce is one of these things. Like nobody, there is no good love song that's lasting where people, where the, the lyricist sings, well, I love you until something better comes along. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, all love yeah. songs yearn for permanence, for yeah. forever. There's the yeah. forever nature of a love song because that's what love desires. That's what we're made right? for. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, this is not a burden. Divorce is not a burden or something to make. It's, it's to free us to be able to understand what love is yeah. and to be more who we're called to be instead of living this life of selfishness and like, you know, just satisfying my desires and whether it's through, you know, uh, serial promiscuity or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Alcoholism yeah. or whatever, like you tending. And I guess that's, that's part of the, the, the dynamic here too. I guess uh, a doctor not to maybe undermine those who have got, undergone a divorce or go through difficulties in their marriage. It's like some issues are legitimate and the church gives some of those, some of that rationale. But in regards to divorce, particularly, she's also kind of positively affirming a marriage actually by the grace of God will work by the grace of God will flourish and will be permanent. And as such carry forth. Yes. Let's talk about this for a second, because I think this is a huge misperception. Like why does the the church grant annulments? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask about it. Because many people see the church as just being, well, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You just have, you have Catholic divorce. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, no, it's, Actually, I think you can see the roots of the practice of, of annulment in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, because Matthew includes a clause in, in what Jesus says that the other two, Luke and Mark, don't. Um, he says, when Jesus is, is talking to the Pharisees, uh, Moses gave you a bill of divorce for your hardness of hearts, right? Um, but in the beginning, uh, it was not so. And then there's this... Uh, there's this, this clause in which Jesus says... Um, that he, he who is married, unless it is unlawful, he who divorces his wife, unless it is, unless the marriage is unlawful. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, will commit commits adultery. Right. Okay. Well, what does that clause mean? Well, it, it's been translated variously in different versions of scripture over the years, but ultimately, un, the unlawful is a marriage that looked like a marriage from the outside, but couldn't be a marriage. So it seems that Jesus was referring to in his day, marriages that would have been uh, incestuous, right? The, mm. the couple's too closely related. Okay. Right? Right. Um, so that looked like a marriage, but it can't be a marriage, not according to Jewish law, mm. right? Roman law might've allowed it, but not Jewish law. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. So what is, a, what, so then how, how does the church see that as applying to annulments? Well, and, uh, in an annulment situation, it's that there was, it looked like a marriage, but something was present from the beginning, which kept it from being a marriage. Examples like, Doctor? So examples like, um, if a couple is getting, is getting married and one couple, one, one spouse has, has deceived the other. Like, so if I find out, you know, several days after we're married or a year after we're married that my wife's name is not Marissa, but it's Betty and she's an ax murderer from Texas, mm-hmm. right? Well, we're not married you because run like hell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Because not only because she's an ax murderer, <laughs> but because it's like, I've married a, a fiction. Yeah. I, I, she has presented a false face and, and you have to, you have to know who you're giving yourself to and who you're receiving in order to be free to do it. Correct. Right? Yes. So that, because a union like that was not free from the beginning. Yes. Therefore it was not really married. Correct. Or right. you can have uh, an instance where, 
there's a psychological disorder. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, which happens, you know, so there, there is something that impedes a free gift of self. Mm. You know, Or a big one, doctor, that I wanted to bring up too. It's like if one of the parties is infertile, and doesn't share. Is that a, is that a, okay, let's make a distinction here. Sure. Infertility does not invalidate a marriage. Okay. Right. So y- right. Y- the couple can be going into marriage and you know, they, they know that they can't have children. It's still the type of marriage type of union that, uh, that if this malady weren't present, it's still the it's type the, of union that's ordered towards having children. Okay. Structurally. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. It's just that there's, there's a malady there uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's preventing it. Okay. It's still the type of union by its nature which is ordered towards having children. That's good to say. Right? Yeah. Um, and the malady could theoretically, potentially be remedied at correct, some point in the future. Correct. Right. Yeah. But even if it can't, right, even right, if they're right. infertile, like, you know, permanently, that you can still enter into a valid marriage. Okay. Now, the inability to, to consummate, the inability mm-hmm. to have, to engage in the marital act prevents you from getting married. Because marriage is not just deep spiritual friendship. It's about literally handing yourself over to each other, body and soul. And, and people are like, if people are listening, thinking, well, that sounds ridiculous. No, Jesus says this, hmm. right? In Matthew's gospel, chapter 19, after he talks about there's no longer divorce. Remember the, the apostles' reaction? The apostles are, are sitting and If that's the case, who can marry? Yes. Yeah. That's, they're oh, like, that's right. yeah. Whoa, Jesus! You yeah. know, like if that's the case, like it's better for some for a man not to marry. And what does Jesus do? Steps right into it. Yeah, he's like, well, you know, I'm glad you say that. Yeah, some have yeah. been main, been are are incapable of marrying from birth. What does he mean? He means some type of birth defect which prevents somebody from entering into mm-hmm. the one flesh union. Mm-hmm. Some have been made, made incapable of marrying by others. Who's he talking about there? Well, we don't have this anymore in our culture, but he's f- talking about the phenomenon of eunuchs, right? Right, a male who's been castrated. Yeah. Right. right. They're not capable of marrying. Mm-hmm. And then he's finally says, right. And there's some who've made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven. Right. And there he's talking about a life of celibacy. We're trying. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, for those who can accept this, this last, mm-hmm. accept it. Mm-hmm. So that's also maybe right. something for a future episode for you guys to talk about with somebody is this complementarity between marriage and celibacy. Yeah. Because he presents them at the same time. Right. right he right. Ele- he come, comes to say, I've re- come to reestablish my father's plan for marriage and. I give you this new gift. Yeah. Right? So Jesus is the one who tells us that unless you're capable of entering into a one flesh union, you Mm -hmm. can't get married. So that would be another thing that would invalidate a marriage. Like, so permanent impotence. Right. Right. Now, there are very few cases of permanent impotence anymore. A lot of them can be medically remedied. But if you're you're literally not capable of handing yourself over bodily to your your spouse, then, uh, then you can't get married. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and then and it, there are yeah. other impediments. Other, sure. uh, the, uh, impediments is the word in, from canon law, but there are other things that would prevent this, what looked like a marriage exteriorly from being a, f- a real marriage. Sure. And then, so like if I'm standing up there and I'm saying the words, I'm mouthing mm-hmm. the words you know, that I'm supposed to mouth, but I intend to go out and cheat on my wife next week. Or you're cheating on her currently. Yes. Right. Then like I'm not married. Mm-hmm. Like I, my, I didn't have the right intention. Because it wasn't right. free. It wasn't forever. It wasn't f- going to be fruitful right. or exclusive. Totally so exclusive. it's those types yeah. of things which can lead to an annulment, which is which is a, a pronunciation or a judgment that this marriage didn't happen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There was something wrong at the beginning, okay. which is distinct from divorce. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, for those who don't know, in practice, what happens is these relationships, problems arise, and then the couple you know, comes to the church and lays yes. the case before them pretty much. An investigation is carried out about the conditions of each party before and during the time of the of the union, 
to figure out and make a judgment, like you said, as to whether or not this was sure. a valid marriage or whether or not it was, um, it was an invalid marriage. It wasn't a real marriage and therefore they can grant an annulment and the, yes. and the couple can separate. I yes. am curious. Now um, let's say one quick thing, yeah, which yeah. is because of this, some people think that the Catholic church supports spousal abuse because it says that divorce doesn't, doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, that's, if uh, if a spouse is in danger mm-hmm. or their children their children are in danger, then they should get out. Even they if the, even if the marriage was valid, yes, and separate, and then you know that, and there can be a reason to seek a, a civil divorce to separate mm-hmm. yourself legally, financially yeah, from this okay. other person. Yeah, yeah, maybe an annulment is possible. Maybe it's not. Right. You know, and, and some people say think well, that's a harsh thing. If you're if you're an abusive spouse, if you've suffered abuse, then you should be able to get re- married again. Okay. Um, let me give an example of this. When I was I taught uh, I taught at Ohio Dominican for four years before coming to the seminary, and I taught a course on marriage there. And in one of the the times that I taught that course, uh, talking about the permanence of marriage and you had some of the younger ki- uh, guy, younger people in the class, you know, raising objections to like, well, how can that be right? You know, this person's experienced abuse. Why can't they go ahead and get, re- get remarried? And I'm saying to them, well, because your words have to mean something. You're pledging to live, to, to bind yourself to this person for the rest of your life. Come what may. Mm-hmm. And even if the come what may is awful, right? If that's a valid marriage, then you're pledging to continue to pray for and love that person, even if you can't live with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A woman in the, in the class, they called her non-traditional age student, right? She's mm-hmm. probably in her early fifties at the time. She said, I want to, I want to tell everybody about the, the truth that Dr. Cahill is speaking. Now this woman was a Baptist. Mm-hmm. This, this woman had a more profound understanding of marriage than most Catholics I've met. She said, here's my story. She said, I was married. I got married. Uh, my husband was in the military he got sent off uh, to battle. Um, he came back from battle a different man. I don't know what happened to him while he was away, but he came back different. And he, they, she had, they had three kids together. And uh, he started to be first verbally abusive to me and my boys and our boys, and then he turned physically abusive. Mm. And she said, so I left. You know, I, I had, I separated, I got a a divorce and she said, I've had friends over the years tell me, you know, why don't you get married again? Right. Um, and she said, here's my response to them. Now think about how impactful this was for all the young people to hear in the classroom. She said, my response to them is I'm married. I made a commitment on my wedding day to live for this man for the rest of my life. And that's what I'm going to do. I made a promise to him. and I made a promise to God. And no matter what he does, no matter how faithful he intends to be to that promise, I'm going to be faithful to mine. I hope someday he'll seek the help that he needs and we can live together as a family. Oh but until gosh. that day, I'm praying for him. It's beautiful. Wow. I mean, that is a more profound understanding of marriage than most Catholics have. Yeah. You are entering into the great unknown when you, you stand up there before God, the altar, and the universe, and you hand yourself over to this person and, mm-hmm. give, and receive them into you, right? Come what may. Right, come what may. Yeah, and in this case, the demands of love were great. Right, right. but what an incredible witness! So powerful. I mean, what an incredible witness! I mean, that, that she's saying, "No, I pledge to love him until until death do us part." You can imagine, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, 
talking amongst each other before the incarnation and the son saying, I'm going to go down there and then being like, are you sure? And he's like, no, I'm going to go down there. Come what may. Hmm. Right. It's like a similar, right. It's like a similar, that's the, that's the radicality of the Lord's faithfulness. Yep. And that's the radicality. And that's of, the radical nature of, of married love. Mm-hmm. You, you do not know what's, what's going to happen in your future together. Yeah. But what yeah. you've pledged to do is be there. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. To love each other no matter what. So, Doctor, we've given here a scope of like what marriage is. Mm-hmm. We've uh, talked about some of the um, Old Testament significance of marriage, some of the storyline in the New Testament, what our Lord has done and how he elevated and perfected marriage in himself, uh, what it means to say marriage is a sacrament, some of the civil kind of implications that marriage entails. Um, we've talked a little bit about divorce and the importance of it. Also here finally about like the importance of love, uh, something that's commitment, something to be a person of your word and the demands of love truly. And then ultimately here, we did want to bring up one last thing that I think is important in the popular discussion right now. You have this huge movement um, to affirm same sex civil unions mm-hmm. in the larger discussion. And so I think it's important as we've kind of here laid out what marriage is properly speaking to kind of in that context, yeah. um, lay out what no, this is. No, I think, that, I think yeah. you're right. It is important. I mean, I think that the church is sometimes uh, labeled as hateful yeah. because of its opposition to same-sex unions um, or same-sex marriages, as our culture wants to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, get back to what we were talking about, uh, the nature of married love. Right. The uniqueness of married love and its four qualities, free, faithful, permanent, and fruitful. The union between two people of the same gender right, cannot be a marriage because it cannot realize all four of those dimensions. So if, you know, if I love another man, I can love him freely. You know, I can love him faithfully. I can even you know, love him permanently. But our love is not the kind of love that can bear forth children. Yeah, structurally. So, right. It is not the type of, of union that is ordered towards having children. Right. So, and no amount of wanting children will make that possible. So when, mm-hmm. let's take back to what we were talking about before, a couple who's experiencing infertility. Right. Right. They go to the doctor and ask the doctor what's wrong because their acts of lovemaking are not making children. Mm-hmm. Right. They realize that something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Two men or two women don't go to the doctor and say, what's wrong? Right. Right. Because it's that, that t- those types of unions are not capable of procreating. Hmm. Right. So it's, and people might respond, you know, well, that's kind of arbitrary. No, it's not arbitrary. Right. It shows the uniqueness of married love and, and the, and the compl- unique complementarity between male and female. The, the very fundamental component of human existence in the world is, in the beginning, God created them in his image and likeness, male and female. The fundamental comp- component of human existence in the world, right? And when we've reached a point where we do not understand the importance of that fundamental component of human existence, then we're fr- we, we run the risk of not only forgetting about what marriage is, but forgetting about God's love for us and what type of love he offers. Mm-hmm. Get back to where we started. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's how important marriage is, right? That complementarity between male and female is this living sign of this covenantal love that God offers to humanity. 
It's not just deep friendship, right? right. And, and let's get back to, well, some people might say, well, you know, a same-sex couple can, well, they can, you can, they can adopt children. Or, they can, they can or, be kind of happy. They can or lose, they can, you know, yeah. use reproductive technology if you have two women, yeah. you know, to have a child. Um, well, but it, their relationship is not the type of relationship out of which that child ushers naturally. naturally. Right as an expression of their love. Yeah. Right. So even if they acquire children, the nature of the union itself doesn't change. Cannot. Yeah. You always, and you know, in order to have a child, there's always a man and a woman involved somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Somewhere. Yeah. And you just, you just hit on something, doc, that I was going to ask you, cause you'll hear the argument. And in fact, I recently heard Matt Walsh on Joe Rogan. He went on and they were having a discussion and it was very, it was a very good discussion, very good conversation. Honest, for all intents and yeah, Matt Walsh did a, a pretty good job, but from like a societal, even poli- like perspective of just looking at the common good, you could ask the question: Okay, sure, maybe, maybe a uh, relationship between a man and a man couldn't really be a marriage, but how is it really hurting you or hurting me to call that marriage or to like consent to that being marriage? And it's it seems like the answer is well because of the nature of what marriage is and the role it's supposed to play for society as a whole to change its definition or to completely disregard its definition is going to be effective for the way that society in general um, appreciates values is benefited by this institution, which is meant to be a sign of God's love. Right. And I think one of the big movements, as we see like the, the idea of um, affirming same sex civil unions is detrimental to, as you're saying, the idea of marriage, Mm -hmm. what love is, Mm -hmm. right? And the reason that I guess the contention is so grave right now is because the idea of marriage has completely been lost from the popular purview. Like we think that marriage is in, in, in fact just this transactional thing, right? Right. That marriage is just, well, it's just an affirmation. Give me the paper. I love this person mm-hmm. and give me this paper to tell me that's the case. And that's all we're asking for. Right, right. right. It's like, we're not asking too much. Just bless us. Just give us your anointing and carry forward because this is what we're doing anyways. Just give us affirmation. But we're saying no, from the very principles of this question, there's already a huge flaw. Yeah. Right. Yes. So, right. And so anyways. Yeah. No. Yeah. So this question about what harm does it do? Okay. And you hear that all the time. And that's part of the like, well, love is love. Right. 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 Well, here's the harm that it does. You're redefining reality. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so we now have a whole generation of young people who are growing up in a cult, in a society in which same sex marriage is considered tantamount on the same level maybe even right, heroic with natural marriage yeah mm-hmm. right heterosexual marriage marriage between a man and a woman you have when you make that equation you put them on the same level you're obscuring reality you're acting as if these things are the same which objectively they are not right mm-hmm. right objectively they are not um and i and, and any sane person should be able to admit that mm-hmm. Th- they're not you know, one is the type mm. of union that can procreate and one is not, right? Um, you're simultaneously demoting natural marriage, the marriage between a man and a woman, and there, therefore you're demoting the, the, the fundamental cell of every society, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? Every healthy society built on marriage between a man and a woman and their family. Um, you're undermining that foundation. And 
you're ignoring the fact that marriage is not just about mutual self-satisfaction. You know, that, that's, that's what, you know, if you ask people what marriage is in our culture, it's been so disconnected from children, right? That people will start, probably start saying something like, and I've experienced this, well, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a, a mutual agreement to, you know, to try to make each other happy, right? Mm-hmm. It's a mutual agreement for, you know, it's for, you know to, to, to provide satisfaction to each other. No, it's not about you, yeah. right? It's not about you disconnected from the fact that your union is intrinsically designed to bring new children into the world. Yeah. Right? This is a baby-making institution. Yeah. Right? Virtue-making that, institution. <laughs> along with virtue-making institution, yeah. right? And, and, and because, but we, because, and this is another discussion, but because we so, our, our culture has become so saturated with contraception, we've disconnected yeah. the idea of children from marriage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you can draw a straight line from contraception to same-sex marriage to the transgender phenomena that we're, the phenomenon that we're experiencing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I think you're right, doctor. Because if, 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 if I can permanently contracept with my wife and that's considered a marriage, if I'm the, the two gay men living next door, it's an honest question for me to ask, well, then why can't what we have be considered what they have? Right. Honest question. Right. Yeah, right. right. right? And then if that's the case, then why not, if gender is really doesn't matter mm-hmm. with reference to, well, then gender is just a fungible category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It can be changed at a whim. And that's right? what we're seeing. And that's and what, that's what we're, we're seeing now. Right. Right. But it's, so it's, um, but marriage isn't just about sa- self-satisfaction. About love. It's about love and about, about love seeking to embody itself. Mm. Right. I mean, it, this, it always occurs to me. I had two, uh, my two grandfathers, one had a, uh, graduated high school. The other had an eighth grade education. They were both smart men. If, if I had asked my grandfather with a, an eighth grade education, who I ended up spending more time around because we lived closer to, to him, you know, if I had said, Grandpa, you know, why can't two men or two women be married? Right. I think my grandfather would have, he had a wonderful laugh. I think he would have laughed his laugh. And he would have said, boy, because they don't go together. Now ask me something else, right? Now there's a, and I'm not needing to be dismissive of people Mm, who have this question on their Mm -hmm. minds, but there's a great deal of wisdom in that response that I think my grandpa would have given. They don't go together. Yeah. Right. There's not the complementarity there between two men and two women that there is between a man and a woman. And that's abundantly clear by the fact that one, this union, man and a woman, that union alone is so complementary that it can lead f- to new life being brought into the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And we can also um, kind of prove that statistically too. I mean, with, with the divorce rates amongst those who do um, have civil unions, there's a huge kind of separation rate. Same-sex civil unions. Yeah, same-sex yeah. civil unions. I mean, there's, there's a huge separation right there. Um, that doesn't disprove uh, the affection they may have from each other. And as you said, this is not to undermine or to somehow bash those who have um, – this attraction, right? Or to express hatred for them. No, exactly. I, that's not what I'm doing but, at all. Yeah. I'm just trying to say why it is right. that, that, that those unions cannot be considered Correct. marriages. Right. They're mm-hmm. two different objective realities. Right. And that it's better right. for society. A society that respects what marriage truly is will flourish yes. more so than a society that does not. Yes. Nice. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking... If you're, this is the first episode you're listening to, we did one with Father Dylan James on the transgender question, which is a related topic. We've mm-hmm. done the theology of the body with Dr. Ignatic. We've done 
freedom. We've done one on contraception. We've done one on same sex. Purity. Unions, chastity. So all those you could go check out if you were looking for more um, resources. Doctor, are there any resources regarding marriage other than obviously your two books? um, (laughs) Which I love and are my favorite. (laughs) That you would want to recommend to any of our listeners and then any final closing thoughts? Yeah, I think... um, I mentioned C.S. Lewis's Four Loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's I'll link a, that down below, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great read. And um, you mentioned Dietrich von Hildebrand's book, The Mystery of uh, Faithful Love, Marriage, The Mystery of Faithful Love. It's a, it's pocket size. I mean, you held up the... This is the original edition that we had from our library. Mm-hmm. I don't know where to hold it. It's right there. Um, but it's... Um, whatever. <laughs> but it's... Uh, there's a, It's republished by Sophia Institute Press. You can get that. Um, I think another good... Uh, good source to look at, and you can find this online, is John Paul II's letter to families. Hmm. Um, he writes this letter directly to families throughout the world. It is what I would say is the, the, the closest synthesis of his insights in the theology of the body that you'll find. Wow. Um, and it's very accessible, as accessible as John Paul II can be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was a brilliant man, but I, yeah. I think those three things. Yeah. That's Familiaris Consortium? No, it's not Familiaris Consortium. Oh, this is okay. a different. This is this is the letter to families. Okay. okay. And I'll, again, we'll link yeah. these below. So if you're interested in yeah. checking those out as a resource for parents, I may be listening, families, those thinking about entering marriage, there should be some good resources, I think, mm-hmm. as you're entering that. And go look at you. the marriage right in the is Catholic beautiful. Church. Yeah, it you is know, beautiful. You see all these things we've been talking about embodied in the rite of marriage in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. Covenant, covenantal nice. love, you know, the nature of married love, all that's in there. Doctor, I wanted to express my personal um, gratitude for, for you coming on and, and thanks that you took time out of your day. I know you do twice. have a busy day. Twice. Yeah. And this time around, uh, I, it was incredible. Obviously, we, we esteem you um, personally. Um, yeah, you got to take classes from me. I do got to take classes from you too. So I am expecting an A on my next exam. But uh, thank you for coming on. I hope You're our welcome. listeners listen. Joey. Yeah, thanks, us. doctor. Um, I said this last time we recorded. I'll say it again and hope to get an A that um, it really is inspiring to be taught about marriage, about God's love by someone who's faithfully living out the vocation yeah. um, as a really strong example of, very kind. Yeah, yeah. of manhood and marriage. So thank you for that. Appreciate that. Guys, that's what we have for you today on Logos Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. As Joey said at the beginning, support us. Know of our prayers for you. Pray for Dr. Cahal, his family, his children, and his work that we may carry out the ministry of our Lord faithfully and with joy. Guys, thank you for tuning into this episode of Logos Podcast. And as always, God bless.